it really begins from the ground up and we can't have the skyscraper when we don't build that foundation and living your dharma is going to require you to be an embodiment of it Welcome to Unleashed. I'm Alexi Panos, life, love, and business strategist, leadership trainer, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. And you've found the place for getting real, no BS, tools, strategies, and inspiration on how to live your fullest potential, unlock your most authentic expression, and create a life and business that you're completely obsessed with. It's time to remove the chains that have been keeping us small. And it's time to live life unleashed. What is up, everybody? I'm so excited to bring to you a beautiful sister of mine who is deep in the work of Ayurveda and deep in the work of Dharma. And we're going to explore what that means. Everybody, welcome Sahara Rose. Hello. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to jam out with you. I mean, I think when two earth signs get together, we're like, okay, how is this going to happen? So I'm excited to dive in. <laughs> okay. First of all, I want to talk about for those who don't follow you online, they get to, and I'm going to put all your handles here. I've been loving your content. Your reels are hilarious. And, and for those of you who don't know, she is like She's a spiritual badass, but she's got a fucking killer sense of humor. (laughs) You know, and it's so funny and we'll talk more about this, but when I was like stepping into my Dharma, my purpose, I thought it had to look a really certain way of like, okay, spiritual teachers, like they just wear white and mala beads and they're serious and they, they talk like this. And, (laughs) and it was like, so not who I really was, but I had this whole other side of me that, you know, we both love hip hop and DJ and like all of these other things. But I was like, those can never be known. Those can never be part of the table. But then the more I actually started to integrate it, like at first with like an Instagram story, and I would be so nervous after like an Instagram story of me, like at a twerk dance class, I would like delete it 10 seconds later. (laughs) And then I would start to get such a great response. And, you know, it made me realize how much the concept of your Dharma are really the things that you may be ashamed about or embarrassed about or feel like don't fit in and to integrate all of those sides of yourself. Oh God. I love that. I have goosebumps right now because I cannot tell you how many clients I have when I work with entrepreneurs and helping them like redefine their business and be fully expressed in their business. I always ask like, who's somebody online that represents an expression that you look up to, that you admire. And your name comes up so often because specifically your twerking videos. Mm. I can't tell you how many women have said, you know, she feels so expressed in her body. She feels like she just doesn't care. And and they're like, I see the backlash. I see that people come at her and say like, you shouldn't be doing this and da, da, da. And she just is like, here's who I am. So I just want to like honor and celebrate that in you girl, because that is huge. And I feel like we need more leaders in this space who are just unapologetically themselves. Mm, and I want to share with you that it was a journey. It wasn't like I was just born this way and <laughs> what it is. And, you know, maybe I was as a child, but then we go through a process of of forgetting. And for me, my, my journey, and we can dive more into it of finding my Dharma, but it was really about the obstacles with my family and like not having their approval towards what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that showed up for me in my personal journey of having to stop living for other people's approval. And if I could live without the approval of my own family, if in fact being disowned by them, then Mm -hmm. you can say shit to me on Instagram and I don't give a fuck (laughs) because it is what it is. You're like, I've been through the trenches. Let's go. You're like, this is nothing brah watch right. me twerk you're right. you're replaying that shit come on <laughs> exactly oh my god I love that so tell me a little bit more about that like what where did your family want you to go what was the expectation on you in your life 
Yeah. So my mom was a refugee and my dad was an immigrant. So my mom literally crossed the border when the borders were closed in Iran, when the Iranian revolution happened and there was a war going on with Iraq and literally had to like cross the border, which took her a month on foot to Turkey, then yeah. hitchhiked to Bulgaria, got asylum in Spain, and then applied for asylum in the U.S. So, you know, that's why I feel so much for the undocumented workers here, because I'm basically a child of one of those type of people. Yeah. And then my dad was an immigrant, meaning he came legally, you know, left legally this country and he went to MIT. He was like one of the smartest like child prodigies in Iran and he got accepted to MIT and got three PhDs from there. So both of their lives were really focused on survival. Like I came to this country and I'm going to survive and I'm here and I'm good. So like, that's it. And then here I am born, lucky to be born in this country, and I am seeking things that are so much different. And it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy. When those base needs are met, you reach for the wants, and then you reach for the self-actualization. So from a, a young child, even before I knew my mom's story or really what happened in my lineage, I just had this deep desire of I'm here to help the world. I, I need to help other people. I have these privileges for a reason. And I just felt this huge responsibility of like, I know you felt this way too, of like, I need to save this planet. Yes. So, you know, it brought me to, um, you know, volunteering in many different countries like yourself and, you know, being the president of our, my Amnesty International chapter, not even knowing that Amnesty International was the organization that got my uncles who are political prisoners out of jail. Not, wow. yeah, like just deep down inside, I was just gravitated towards these human rights issues. Also wow. the concept of child marriage, not knowing my own grandmother was 12 years old when she married my grandfather. So Whoa. my soul just could feel like that I had come from these exact issues and that I was here to solve them, even though I was never told about them. Also, yeah. my mom's lineage is Indian, which they never talked about, but I'm drawn to Ayurveda and all these super yoga and all these super Indian things. So just amazing how like epigenetics is really showing that these things do live on inside of you. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that I would be an international human rights lawyer. I went to college in DC for that. And I was working with different NGOs and realizing it was so not in alignment with who I was and my gifts. I wanted to feel the people I was helping. I wanted to have conversations with them. I didn't want to just raise money for the next fundraiser, for the next fundraiser, for the next fundraiser. And I was really confused because here I was chasing this goal and now I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm. So I began to really think like, you know, should I just get a job? Should I do this? Should I do that? And it was in that time I started to have health problems. And long story short, my body began shutting down. I went through perimenopause when I was 21 years old. So wow. yeah, completely no hormones, lost hair, weight, didn't get my period for over two years, couldn't digest wow. food, like osteoporosis symptoms, like entire body shutting down. And that prompted me to research everything about health, which was in no way my interest before that, but I needed it for myself. And in yeah. that rediscovering Ayurveda, Ayurveda healing me and naturally wanting to share that. So yeah. my deep desire was to share Ayurveda with other people. And Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system and the sister science of yoga based on the mind-body connection. So at this point, I am like 23 years old, wanting to write this Ayurveda book. And my parents were like, no, 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 no. This is a hobby. Like, this is not what you're yeah. going to do for your living. You're going to be a starving artist. You're going to end up homeless. Like, and I was so confused at this time because I was someone who always, you know, kind of subconsciously was living for my parents' approval of like, yeah. I did good, a gold star. Like, I'm sure you see with Kingston stuff. Like, oh, yeah. it's innate within a child. Yeah. And then feeling like, 
you guys told me to follow my dreams and here I am doing it. And you're telling me, you know, and it would start to get worse and worse of you're so selfish for doing this, or you only think about yourself and, you know, look at the the destruction you're doing for our family. And that escalated to your complete failure. You're a loser. We want nothing to do with you. And it started to get worse and worse and worse between myself and them, especially because at that point, my interests were, I was a new person. I was interested in spirituality and I was going to Bali by myself and talking about shamans. And they were so afraid of this path that I was going on. So they were essentially saying whatever they could to keep me safe, even though that was confining me. So these years were a huge battle of am I selfish for having my own purpose? Am I like delusional and going to end up a starving artist and regret not getting a stable job these years? Am I wishful thinking or is this actually a part of something that I have this deeper yearning to and to trust that? And when you don't have any examples of anyone living their dharma around you or, you know, in Bali, I would see people who follow their heart, but they definitely didn't have like the stability piece around them. So I was like, I don't know how this could work. So those were the years that I see them now as like my soul's curriculum to make me stronger, to make me more courageous, to allow me to express in the ways that I did today. But the realization that I had was that, you know, one day my parents will be gone. Yeah. And I am the only person that I will, you know, be left with. And I, I know the number one regret of elderly when they're dying is to not live a life in alignment with their truth. And I didn't want that to be mine. So eventually it got so bad with my parents that it reached this, this story that I share in the book of essentially my dad just saying, I want nothing to do with you. You are not my daughter. Never speak to me again. And at that point I went down to my childhood room where, which had like my toys and stuff. And I was just crying, but then this feeling of numbness came over me that I was just like, Mm -hmm. fuck it. If I'm dead to them, then I have no one to live for, but myself. So I'm just going to do it. Wow. And I I needed to reach that point to just break those cords, the figurative umbilical cord that still exists with all of us. Yeah. I went back to India and this is just from doing. And if you want me in your life, this is who I am. And it was so, it was so hard and so painful and not in any way a linear path, more like a spiral, but eventually I was able to get the Ayurveda book off the ground and create a business and all of these deep fears that they had for me did not actualize. In fact, I'm more successful than they ever could have imagined. Um, but I needed to break that cord of doing it for someone besides me. Mm, that's so powerful. And I know there's so many people listening that can relate in some way, whether it's a parent or a partner or somebody in their close circle, who's just not fully behind what they're up to. And this is really a key thing that I want to just highlight that you did is that you chose yourself. And it's not that you didn't choose your parents and you don't love them, but you said, you know what, this is bigger than me even. This is something that's calling me forward. And that's truly what Dharma is. And I would love for you to kind of define Dharma for those who maybe haven't heard the word or they've heard it as a buzzword, but don't really understand what it means. Like, what is it? Why is it not a career? Like, is it just purpose? What do you think Dharma is? 
Yeah. So your dharma is your soul's purpose. It's the big reason why you are here. It's the unique frequency in which only you can carry. It's more of how you do something than what you do. Mm -hmm. So your dharma, you could see it as like a company's mission statement. It's, I am here to be the bridge between these cultures, or I'm here to bring beauty to this world, or I'm here to connect women to their hearts and bodies, et cetera. It's like an overarching purpose for everything in which you do. Mm -hmm. Now, under that mission, statement are the services that that company might have. And that could be writing a book, podcasting, coaching, DJing, dancing, singing, things that don't even look super similar, but that red thread that connects them all is your Dharma. So it's much more than any one career project role that you play, but it's really the essence in which you bring to everything that you do. Oh, I love that. I love that because so many people get stuck in this, like I need to figure out what my purpose is. And they think it's one job or one career or one path. And I just love this idea that your purpose is who you be in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's what you sprinkle into whatever it is that you do, even if you do 10 million things between now and the time that you pass. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love that. And I think reframing that in today's world is so important, especially with what's happening, where so many people are losing their careers and stepping into the question of what is my dharma? What Mm -hmm. is my purpose? Now, have you seen a huge surge in that since COVID and all the things? I really think I was like soul assigned to write this book when I did so it could come out right now because we are experiencing the greatest career loss and shift in modern history right now. Yeah. You know, my own husband working in the music industry being totally shut down, losing his company. And there's an opportunity in all of that of how can I shift it to be more in alignment with my gifts, with my mm-hmm. purpose, with my strengths. And it doesn't have to be you know, something like my Dharma can feel so overarching, so broad that I feel like when we ask, what is, who am I? Why am I here? It feels like such a daunting question that we just kind of like go on to the next thing. But, you know, in the book, I really break down, there's these five stages that you may go through, through discovering your Dharma. Mm. That first stage is just the self-awareness of seeing something needs to change. I see the trajectory of where my life is going and I don't want it to go this way. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And that's just the awareness that there's something that needs to change in your life. And then that stage two is the self-improvement. Now, this Mm. is where a lot of self-help, motivational speakers, it's really focused on improving the mind and the body. So you may be doing, you know, um, hacks for having less anxiety or exercising more or meditation to calm the mind or, you know, Tony Robbins and different motivational speakers, et cetera. So you see that there are many, many things that you can shift your morning routine, the way Mm. that you speak to yourself, habits, et cetera. And we have to go first through that stage. For myself, it was through Ayurveda. I need to heal my physical body and my mental anxiety before I could reach anything else. And I always say now that your physical symptoms are an indicator of what needs to to shift for you to live in alignment with your purpose. And you you can look further into that of the archetypes, which I talk about in the book of, is it an air imbalance, fire imbalance? earth imbalance and how those physical symptoms can tell you deeper what your purpose is. Then from there, we go to stage three. And that stage three is like the awakening or the realization Mm. that you're more than your mind and you're more than your body, but you have this soul. So the focus shifts from improving yourself to knowing yourself, like Mm, who am I? And it becomes less of like, I'm this thing that needs to get better into, I just need to understand myself. So this is when people often go into, you know, podcasts like this or 
deeper soul searching, you know, maybe they meditate, but it's for a different reason than just like calming the thoughts. Um, And in this stage, people can really feel like they're going crazy or that they're alone or that it's going to be so difficult to live in the world around them. It's like the veils were, you know, suddenly dropped. So I know our friend Amber really speaks to people in this stage. She sure of does. feeling like, yeah, feeling like you're going, you're going crazy or, you know, for some people, for myself, I didn't feel like that, but I was like, I was just so angry of, about this world. I was like, yeah. how are people just in these boxes all the time? They're in their, yes. cars, they're in their cubicles and they're in their malls. Like, how is this happening? And Same. it feels like a separation between you and the world around you. Yes. And how am I going to survive this and a combative energy? Yes. And you can't stay there because you realize that, well, you were born in a human body in this type of reason. So you are here to be part of that shift. And that brings us to stage four. And that is when we find our practices that work for us. Maybe it's breath work or it's dance or it's sound bath or whatever else it looks like, Buddhism. And it it feels more integrated. You don't feel like I'm a separated part of this world that needs to find my way out of it, but rather I can be in it. I have my tools. I have my practice. I can self-regulate. However, what's missing in that stage is often people feel like they're living a double life. Like I have who I am in my job and then my interests. And it can be hard because, you know, most of us, not all of us are going to have to do something for money, Right. So that's a lot of people ask like, oh, well, is your dharma, like, should you have to monetize it? And the thing is, most people are going to have to have some type of job or career. So when you're spending eight hours of your day doing something that in no way uses your gifts, and then you have these whole other, you know, set of interests out here, it could feel like the separation. So oftentimes in stage four, it's like you're figuring out, well, what is it for me to share or what can I bring to the table or what are the unique, you know, methodologies or frameworks that I have, but you're not quite out there sharing it yet. And you build and you build and you build upon that, finding your voice. Maybe it's sharing, maybe it's finding a job that's in alignment with your truth until you reach the stage five. And stage five is full embodiment with your dharma. So it's Mm. no longer information, but rather it's an embodiment and your full life is an expression of your dharma. And the major shift that happens here is you move from me to we. Yeah. So me really needs to happen in stage three, you know, all of the stages before, but even in stage three and four, it's not selfish. You have to learn how to take care of yourself and the self-care and the practices and the boundaries. You got to learn all of these things. But then when you're living in full alignment with your Dharma, something shifts. And the thing that nourishes you is no longer like, you know, the bath is great, but it's not like you're living for the bath. It's like you're, <laughs> you're living for sharing your gift in whichever way. And in this stage, all areas of your life must come into alignment. Otherwise, mm-hmm. those will be those holes in your pocket that are preventing you from living your dharma. So your relationships, friendships, home environment, yeah. everything is going to need to shift because your focus is you and your dharma yes. and you're seeing that anything that is preventing you from living that is actually preventing you from serving humanity mm. and you find that your greatest form of joy is in alignment with your greatest form of service so this is really where all of us are going to go this is what all of our birthrights are it is possible for each and every person it yeah. just takes understanding that it's not going to be like a stage one to five and these stages also are not super linear. You can feel like you're at four and kind of go back to stage two or, or feel like you're in two different stages related to two different things that you're interested in, but it helps us see this kind of way that we evolve and evolve and 
I like to think of it more as remembering your dharma than finding your dharma because yes. you realize in the stage five, it was never something outside of you. It was never yes. this separated thing that you had to get to and become, but it was rather more like you were wearing all of these cloaks and shawls and socks and gloves. And the more that you take them off, the more that you strip and remember the essence of who you are. I love it. It's I love to call that the emergence, right? The emergence of our true self. And I really appreciate you putting it into these stages because it kind of feels like the hero's journey for Dharma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, as you were saying them, I'm like, oh yeah, I know when I was in stage one and like I could feel my stage two and I totally was taking the, the journey with you. And I just really want to presence that for anyone listening and, and finding yourself maybe not at stage five right now, really getting what she said, because Sahara, this is so important. You said you you have to hit every stage, right? And I can't tell you, I'm sure you experienced this, this too. How many people want to skip from stage one to stage five overnight? Like, I just want to be living my purpose, doing my thing. And it's, you have to, in order to become the, the truest version of yourself, in order to truly emerge as that self, you have to go through the contrast. You have to have all of that working in the soul and in the spirit to fully be a yes to the Dharma. Mm, Absolutely. You know, I saw this quote on Instagram the other day. I'm like, this is so true, but it was all of you guys want to talk about ascension, but no one wants to talk about grounding. Yeah. And I was like, that is it. Everyone's like, (laughs) I want to be 5D. It's like, how's your 3D? (laughs) I legit just had this conversation with a friend prior to jumping on here where, you know, she's like in it in her relationship and she's talking about like 5D and what's happening with the eclipse and the portal coming up. And I was like, all that's great, but your 3D world is not working. Can we talk about that, please? (laughs) Exactly. And I think that sometimes too, you know, it's beautiful to have, to have that higher lens and that higher perspective and know that cycles, energy, et cetera, is always going to impact us, but it really begins from the ground up and we can't have the skyscraper when we don't build that foundation and living your Dharma is going to require you to be an embodiment of it. Just because we were born with a purpose does not mean we're necessarily going to embody it in this lifetime. You know, most people don't, most people don't even ask themselves the question. So I think sometimes what happens when we like over spiritualize things of like, well, if I was born with a purpose, I'm just going to sit back and receive. And it's like those obstacles, those roadblocks, those limitations are there for a reason. I remember one of the biggest questions I had, I would read these spiritual books. It was like, follow the path of least resistance. Mm. I was like, that doesn't make sense because then my mom would probably be married to an old guy in Iran right now. If she followed the path of least resistance or the homeless guy in India would have never built a huge company now or how, how could that make sense? And it was, it, I always struggled with that. And I felt like there was this, this notion that just sit back and whatever's meant to happen will happen. And that Mm. can take us out of the fact that we have free will and that we're in the driver's seat of our own life. So what I realize now is that sometimes to follow the path of least resistance, you first have to follow the path you are the most resistant to. Mm, yeah, and that the are mic, girl. your unique <laughs> roadblocks, yeah. your limiting beliefs, your ancestral stories, all of these things that are showing up for you because that's the schooling. That's you need it. to go through the K, K to grade 12. You need yeah. to learn each and every one of those lessons so you could stand up and actually emit the vibration of your that's dharma. It. That's it. And again, so many people want to skip the hardship. They want to skip the journey and just get to the end. And there's um, Alan Watts actually talks about this and you'll appreciate it because it's a metaphor around music. But he said, you know, most people are, are playing music to hear the first note and then to get to the last note. 
but they don't get that music is meant to be lived. It's meant to be felt. It's meant to be the ride of the up and the down and the in-between and the bridge that takes you somewhere else and the pause that stops your heart. And, and it just so landed for me with that metaphor because the, the reason, the whole reason we love music is for the journey it takes us on, right? Mm-hmm. And if I play a song just to get from note number one to note 96, there's no, there's no joy, there's no life, there's no aliveness there, there's no process. And it's the process of life that is the ups, the downs, the everything in between, the spiral outs, all of that, that, that plays the song of our lives. And it's actually what makes us become the person that can hold the Dharma, that can hold the vision, that can be the embodiment, because we can't skip that part. And it's like, we, we keep coming back to this because we have to say it time and time again. And if you're hearing this, hear this. You're listening to this particular episode for a reason. Mm -hmm. This is huge. Do not try and skip out on what is showing up for you right now in your space. Yes, have 5D vision and 5D awareness, but 3D action, 3D living embodiment. It's huge, huge, Mm -hmm. huge, huge. Yes. And even when you get to your Dharma, it ain't done. It ain't done. <laughs> it ain't done. It's now it's a whole different level. <laughs> exactly. And I see it often as like a mountain range. Like there is a lot of transformation to happen for you to get to that first peak, but guess yeah. what? The peaks don't end and you go down, you come back up and it's a new peak and it's a new peak and it's a new peak. And living your Dharma is being the fullest expression of who you are at any given moment yes. and yes. letting that change throughout your life as well. Yeah. And letting that change you and letting that change your circumstances. Like I find personally, as you know, I just had twins and I have a a two-year-old as well, but I find that my Dharma is expanding in its expression now. And I'm in this amazing gray area. That's like, I'm not quite sure what I want to do next, but I'm diving back into music and producing and I'm still teaching and leading, but I'm saying yes to the fullest expression of my soul at the moment. And it's changing what my external life looks like. And we talked about this a little bit prior to jumping on here, but I would love for you to chat about for any entrepreneurs listening that find themselves kind of in the golden handcuffs of what they've created and going, well, yeah, maybe it's not my Dharma, but ah, I put so much time into this and I've invested and I've created this huge tribe and like, I don't want to throw it away. What would you say to somebody who's in that space? Mm, Yeah. So I see the journey of embodying your Dharma through the lens of the chakra system, right? Mm. So you're familiar with the chakras and I'm sure many people have, you know, a bit of a notion heard the word before, but I'll break them down into how it's related to your purpose. So the crown chakra is you receiving that idea. It's you Mm. getting that hit of, I'm going to create that CBD chocolate company, or I'm going to, you know, show up in this type of way. And you get that hit but it's not coming from you. It is coming through you. It is landing on you because you are one of the perfect people who can bring it into alignment. So from that place of receiving the idea, we intuit it through the third eye. Mm. Is this for me? Is it not for me? Is it for me now? Is it for me 10 years from now? How, how, how am I going to bring my experiences and knowledge and excitement, et cetera, to this thing if it is for me? So that's when you're like, the branding could be, you know, different colors, the rainbow colors, et cetera. You're really thinking about it. Yep. Then we have the throat chakra. That is writing it down on a piece of paper. Maybe you write your business plan or you share about it or you put it down on your vision board or whatever else it looks like. But it's now taking that idea and tangibly giving it life. It's now living mm. somewhere. 
Then we get so excited about that thing of, oh my gosh, imagine the people in chronic pain who could have the CBD chocolate and the people that it can impact. And you start to feel the heart, the heart Mm. energy of that's the ignition of making you feel so alive and so passionate about this thing that you naturally can't help but do. And that's the solar plexus, the doing, the creation, the get shit done, the ass to the grass. And this is the part a lot of spiritual people have a problem with. I'm like, <laughs> no, I just wanted it to be in my mind. I didn't want to actually do it. But but that's the that's the actual manifestation of it. So thinking of it like a digestion, your digestion takes food, it transforms it into energy. So yeah. this is the process of taking it now into something that is alive to be experienced by people around us. Now, this stage is where a lot of people now get stuck in the, mm. I'm doing it, it's working, I have clients, I have customers, let me keep doing this forever. And then if we don't move to the next one, we get burnt out too Mm. much fire, too much Mm. heat. You know, you're holding on to something for too long that the next um, chakra to bring it into is the sacral. Mm. And that's now seeing who am I at this moment, because you shift fundamentally as a person when you bring an idea into action, who you are, your interests, your strengths, you're not the same person just yeah. the, the energy you had to create to bring that to life, to birthing a child is yeah. going to shift you. Yeah. So it's in that stage, the sacral chakra that we need to take that sacred pause. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to step away. We need to look at it from an outside perspective of, is this now in alignment with my gifts and my strengths and who I am and how I want to serve? Maybe it's going to require you outsourcing some things or delegating some things that maybe you were doing that are feeling really fiery and burning you in a bad way. Or maybe it's, I was just here to bring this thing to life. And now it's being handed off by someone else whose Dharma is to continue this. But you can only know that when you take that sacred pause, when you step away from that thing, instead of like being on the hamster wheel of the doing. Mm. And that's when it shifts into the root chakra, which is the movement, something greater than you, something that has its own legs, something that doesn't need you for it to live its own life. Mm. And from that place of birthing it, you can then take it through another round of here's the next rendition of it. Now it's going to be the 2.0, or it may take its own legs and live its own life. And you're here to birth something new. Mm, I love that. So any of you listening that find yourself in that, like, I'm not feeling really connected to what I've birthed in the past, figure out where you're at. Maybe you need a little more heart to connect to it. Maybe you need that sacred pause to step back and say, okay, I've been so busy being busy that I haven't actually taken time to see where I, where I'm at with this. Mm-hmm. And maybe it needs to be handed off or re-ideated and reimagined in a new way. I love that. What a great system to pull it through. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I find it so really good. helpful too, because we all, we all realize how much effort and work it takes to get something off the ground. And then sometimes yeah. we feel so afraid of, oh, I don't want to have to do that again with something <laughs> yes. else, you know, yeah. like I saw how much, but the thing is you it's like you become a better swimmer, right? So those waves are not as daunting anymore. And an analogy that I have is, you know, when you're not living your Dharma, it's like you're on the beach and your Dharma is out in the open waters, right? Mm -hmm. So you've never seen those open waters, you know, they exist, but you're out here on the beach. Now to get there, you got to go through the waves. You got to learn how to duck them and dive them and become a better swimmer. But those first couple waves may knock you down and everyone around you is on shore and they may tell you, oh, look, I tried to make it with my college band and we failed. So don't live your purpose or Uh 
the, the open waters don't even exist. It's always going to be just painful and difficult. And that's just a bunch of woo bullshit. Yeah. So most of us just stay on that shore or keep trying to dive through those waters, but not learning how to become stronger and more embodied and learn from those lessons. Yes. So then when you learn from them, you dodge them, you get a better swimmer, you get more adept, and then you make it out to the open waters. And that's the flow that people are talking about that's the path of least resistance. That's when you feel like you're kind of not totally in the passenger seat, but you're not pushing as hard anymore. And that's really the energy that we're all meant to be in, but Mm. the waves are going to depend on how many limiting beliefs, how far away we are from our truth. The waves are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger until we go back on them. So I think a lot of people, because the first push towards getting your business off the ground, you might not have these tools. It may have been really difficult and tough that you're like, I don't want to have to go through that again. So I'm just going to keep holding on to this like smoldering hot plate that's burning me instead of you. Oh, you just heard for a second. Instead of you trusting that you have shifted as a person, if you're listening to the Unleashed podcast, you are Mm -hmm. someone who, who is in the process and doing the work. And now, you know, here are not my gifts. Here are the things that from the straight, from the get-go, I'm going to delegate knowing who I am. And here are the maybe things that I hadn't had in my toolkit that I have now. And then Mm. it makes the moving through the process so much smoother and easier. I love that. You know, something that came through that metaphor is how many people take the dive, they take the leap from the shore into those first waves and they, they let it get beat down. You know, they let, they get themselves stuck in the washing machine of those waves, come out searching for air, gasping and going, holy shit, I'm never going back. Right. They were right. That's so dangerous. And then they come back to shore and then maybe they get the courage again, maybe the next year, or maybe six months from now, or maybe 10 years from now, they jump back in, but they've got the trauma Mm -hmm. of getting in the washing machine of the waves. And so that fear is leading the jump. Versus going, okay, what can I learn? Well, maybe if I had a surfboard, I could like coast on top of the waves or dip my nose and still have some sort of flotation. Like I cannot tell you how many times I've seen so many people get hit down and hit down and hit down by the waves, but they've never actually gotten past that first obstacle of resistance to have proof for themselves that something else is possible. And I think that's so important for us It's about building resilience, building grit is we've got to find ways in our life to set ourselves up to experience that, to go through hardship, but to stay the course, stay in the water, get past that initial resistance and go, okay, I'm still alive. I didn't die. I'm okay. And what did I learn? You know, the more we have experiences like that, the more we can apply it to areas that are so important to us, like our purpose and our dharma. Mm, Yes. And I think where a lot of people get stuck with that is, well, isn't the resistance a sign that it's not for me? Oh, girl. And I've heard that so many times. (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 you know, (laughs) and it's true. It could be. So I break it down to two types of resistance. There's personal resistance and there's universal resistance. Yes. Yes, Now that personal resistance is someone else is already doing it, or that's going to take a lot of hard work, or I'm not good enough. I'm confused. I don't know where to start. It's coming from you. Yeah. You you are the thing that's creating the resistance. And that means it's the obstacles, it's your soul's curriculum for you to overcome. Yeah. Now that universal resistance is like you you are trying to do this thing but it's just contracted. You don't even like where it's going. Yeah. It just feels like life is a series of unfortunate events and you're told to just stay the course. Yeah. So I always tell people is the result from this going to make you feel more expansive or contractive? 
That's it. Because oftentimes people are like, I hate my job, but I have to just keep doing it because life sucks. Get a helmet. And, and right. that's, and that's what most people think, right? right I think right. it's like a boy meets world that like got in our minds. <laughs> but, totally. but so we think that life is just the series of unfortunate events and I just need to withstand it. But what's the end result here? You got tenure at a company that you don't even care about. Like that's right. just going to make you feel more contractive. But if it's the, I'm going through these waves and what's awaiting me is getting my book off the ground yes. or sharing my voice or being an example for my kids that this is possible, then even those obstacles aren't going to feel so shitty. They actually totally. feel like this, like, ooh, okay. Like, like what do you challenge have for- accepted? <laughs> exactly. And yeah. they and they invigorate you and they stimulate yes. you. And it's like that feeling of being on a surfboard that you're on those same waves, but you want to be there. Yeah. And, and it's that fun. is the feeling. You're fun. And you're like, yeah. yeah, I might get knocked down, but I, I am choosing to be part of this yes. experience. So I'm I think that game. exactly. And I think yeah. that most of us have seen what it looks like to have the shitty, struggly days from our parents, from people yeah. around us and look at where they are now. They're still not happy. So yeah. we're like, I see that people who've overworked have ended up not happy. So I don't want to overwork. Right. But even the, the concept of overwork, what was the limit you put yeah. on that? Yeah. You know, it's like, why are you putting yourself in a box of it has to be hard in order to create massive results? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like changing that perspective of like, this is, this is hard and I have to get through it and I'm grudging my feet because it's what I need to do towards yeah. like, yes, I am signing up for this experience and I want to be here. Mm, that's everything. And to speak to that resistance, I just want to add a piece that is, is so potent. And it's something that I have been consistently in the practice of is whenever I'm feeling resistance of any kind, whether it be from self or the universe, I always go, okay, have I brought all of myself here yet? So if it's in my relationship, like that's, that's my greatest workshop is my partnership, right? So in my relationship, if I'm in that resistance and I'm feeling the push pull, it's like, have I brought all of myself here yet? And if the answer is no, then I still have work to do. And I can't fully like make up a conclusion about what this is until I've shown up with all of myself. And that applies to my work. So for those of you who are in a job where you're like, oh man, I hate my job. I'm just like trudging through like blah, 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 blah. Okay. But have you brought all of yourself? Have you brought your joy? Have you brought your love? Have you brought your humor? Have you brought your dharma, your gift? Have you infused it into this thing that, yeah, maybe isn't totally aligned, but that's the work. Can you show up as you regardless of the external circumstance? And then once you're fully here and fully expressed, it's like, okay, yeah, this still doesn't feel good, but at least I got to be me. Mm, And that teaches you how to bring all of yourself. I think people think... I don't want to give myself fully to this because I don't like it. I don't like this job. I don't like this thing. So they're like almost like holding onto their energy because they're yes. afraid if they give all of it, they're like not going to have any more left. It's this limiting belief that energy yeah. or creativity is sparse. Yeah. So they're like holding back on their full potential, yes. waiting for this sudden dharma to like knock on their ground. And it's like... It's like, that's not going to show up for you if you've never even been in that embodiment before. If you can step into that full gift in any situation that you are in, whether it's a shitty job or a beach cleanup or whatever else that you may have more important things to do, it shows you what you're capable of. It will, it will surprise you like, wow, this is what I can show up as when I'm fully online. And that opportunity may guide you to the next of your job, your job telling you to maybe start the new Hong Kong branch. And that was like secretly really what you wanted to do. 
or you cultivating new strengths that you weren't even aware of. That's it. I love that. There's so much goodness in here already, but I just want to touch on before we leave, I took your archetypes quiz. Yay. Let me guess. Let me guess. Yes. Yes. See if you can guess it. Visionary teacher. I'm seeing the nurturer really come on for you the past couple of years being a mom. Mm-hmm. You have the researcher in you too. Yes, girl. You and activist. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so I took it three and times. And entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You actually really have like, actually like now that I'm thinking about it, you're like the person who has like all of them. Cause I even, <laughs> cause typically we have like four or five that it's like, this is us. And then like yeah. two, that is like, that is not us. But I feel like for you, motherhood, like maybe nurturer was like not the full one before, but definitely not has brought that up and then warrior. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because I took it three times. Just I like taking tests multiple times just to see. And I did get slight variations, but you nailed it. Visionary teacher, researcher, nurturer. Like Mm -hmm. those are like my big four that kept showing up. And I just love it. I love archetypes. I, I play with archetypes a lot in my work, with myself, with my students. What are the other archetypes? I know you named quite a few, but did we miss any? Because there's nine, right? Yeah, there are nine. So visionary, which that's also my main one, teacher, Mm -hmm. um, activist, entertainer, Mm -hmm. um, nurturer, warrior, entrepreneur. I'm like, I need to look at my book. (laughs) I I get all of these. Um, Let me tell you. So teacher, nurturer, visionary, entrepreneur, artist, researcher, entertainer, activist, and warrior. Interesting. Yeah. So good. So good. So, so if people are feeling like they need a little support and direction, I feel like this quiz is so good. It's free and I'll put the link in the, in the show notes, but it's so good to just get a little more insight into what your innate gifts are, your interests and what you can do with them. Now, how have you seen the archetypes really support people in their Dharma work? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was so instrumental because when you're like, I don't even know what I'm good at. I don't even know Mm -hmm. if I have a purpose just to see yourself in an archetype that's greater than you and other people in that way. And you're like, okay, if Greta Thunberg is also an activist and she's doing this, that means something like that is also possible for me or Lily Singh, or it could really look like anything. So I have this process called the Dharma blueprint process, which is like a step-by-step thing you can do. And it's, what are your Dharma archetypes? What is that thing that's exciting for you? What are the obstacles that you've overcome or helped others overcome? Mm. what are the mediums that you are the best at writing, drawing, speaking, et cetera. And then what's your superpower. So it's Mm -hmm. like taking these five things and combining it into, okay, with all of these aspects of myself, I could, you know, start an app to help people on their health or, you know, um, join forces at this business. It doesn't mean you have to be an entrepreneur either, but it's right. knowing what are my innate gifts and seeing them in something larger than yourself. Mm, I love that. That's so good. I just, I think for anybody in any phase of your life, whether you're already a kick-ass entrepreneur and you're like down the path and down the rabbit hole, it's so important that we take time and intentionally really reassess our lives and our purpose and our paths yeah. to really make sure we're going the right way. And you spoke about the regrets of the dying. I actually did a a podcast on that because I loved that book and it really resonated with me. So many people wake up at the end of their lives and they're like, oh, I could have done so much differently. And what I love about this book right now at this time is it's helping people reimagine what their life could be in a time where we all are kind of being forced to do it anyway. 
you're, you're, you're giving a structure to that. And I just love that it's going to be out at the start of the new year, January 5th, correct? It comes out so good. It's going to be right around the time that I air this episode. Um, But for people who want to get the book, where can they get it? Where can they follow you? Where can they find more about you? Where can they dive into your twerking videos and your hilarious reels? All the things. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it was so much fun. I'm like, let's keep talking about all the things. Um, So you can find the book at IamSaharRose.com slash Dharma. I have all of the links to buy it, you know, any bookstore internationally. And you could submit your receipt to get bonuses like my uh, meditation, tapping practice, virtual book launch, and so much more. So that's IamSaharRose.com slash Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. And then the Dharma Archetype quiz is DharmaArchetypeQuiz.com. My Instagram and website are IamSaharRose. You'll find my reels there. Peek through. (laughs) I'm twerking with the spirit guides. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for you as a sister. I'm just so grateful for who you are in the world and how you show up and how you said yes to your Dharma, despite the resistance that you faced, which was pretty intense. Um, just so grateful that you're a yes to it because I know you're going to serve a lot of people, continue to serve a lot of people because you've been doing so for so many years. So thank you. Uh, Well, thank you so much. I remember like even before I was like stepped into my Dharma, seeing you and Preston's videos. And I was like, I love this. And I think it's so great to have people who expand our vision for what's possible. So thank you for being one of those people for me. Of course, my pleasure, my pleasure. And guys, if you love this episode, if you got a million nuggets from this, because I know you have, please screenshot it, share it with us online. I'll make sure I put our social handles. Let us know what stuck. Let us know what blew your mind open. Let us know what you're going to apply today. And let us know that you're picking up her book, Discover Your Dharma. It's amazing. Comes out January 5th. Sahara, thank you so much. I love you, sister. And thank you guys for listening. I love you guys. Thank you for taking this time to spend with us. As always, make sure you are living and unleashing your best life. Love you guys.